0: Last week we went through fellowship, and this morning hopefully we'll make it through the rest of this page. We'll see. We're not on any super time crunch. Um, What's that? Oh. So yesterday we went out to Onion Days, and we were talking with people, and one of the questions we had on a quiz that we are presenting to people has to do with Acts 2.42. It says in Acts 2.42 it talks about, Uh, four different things that the early church was continually devoting themselves to. The first one was the apostles' teaching, the last one was prayer, and then the question is, what are the other two? And there are four options, but before I give those four options, do you guys know what those other two are? Other than the apostles' teaching and prayer, what are the four things the early church devoted themselves to? All right, Brit says fellowship. And What else? One more. Uno más. What's that? Breaking a bread. Breaking a bread and fellowship. And then the other two options on there were giving and music, I think. Or singing, that's what it was. Giving and singing. And a lot of people asked me, well, what does fellowship mean? So, I want to start by asking you guys, what does fellowship mean? What would
1: you say?
0: Yeah. Uh, To be fair, a lot of them were Younger, but I think probably four people asked me, What does fellowship mean? Yeah, nobody asked me what singing or giving or breaking a bread even meant, which was kind of surprising. But I'd say probably four people between yesterday and Friday asked me, What does fellowship mean? So, to you guys, what does fellowship mean? Being that we talked about that last week,
2: fellows in (laughs) a (laughs) ship.
3: Isn't that, it's, it's not what a lot of people think it's about. we have been wrong, I mean, because a lot of people think just because you and I, were three of us just sitting at talking, it's fellowship. this fellowship. But I think it's more than that, You've got the definition of it is. But uh, that's, I, I don't think it's as simple as what we think it is as far as just, oh yeah, we're sitting and talking at the
2: table and what you fellowship, that could be wrong. Developing a relationship,
0: see. Okay. In my mind. With with who? Who is in view? Oh, well, it's in believers. 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 Okay. Developing
4: so. The, the it's triage. Casual relationship. It's triage for hurting people and sharing each other's lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So in that, you get an, an aspect of counseling and discipleship and, and growing and developing. So yeah, it, it definitely is more than just talking and hanging out, though it can be as simple as talking and hanging out when the right crowd is in view. When you're fellowshipping with believers, um, that's different from just kicking it with the guys at the bar or you know in your basement or whatever it might be, just random people who aren't in dwell with the Holy Spirit, but we have that unity in the Holy Spirit. We've all been baptized into the one body. We have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and we have a a unique, distinct fellowship amongst us. And we can experience that when we meet believers out in the community that we don't know. When we're traveling, we go to a different church. There's a unique fellowship, a unique bond that we have. Um, I met a couple of people over this last weekend that were at least professing believers, and there was some kind of kindred spirit, right? Some kind of fellowship there that uh, they felt comfortable enough to come up to me and to be jovial and open and of course that's all outward but fellowship really can only take place within the body of Christ, within the church. It uh, doesn't include uh, unbelievers and believers like fellowshipping together because that's not fellowship. Jim? Yeah,
1: I think the difference is the Holy Spirit, you know? When mm-hmm. we fellowship believers, the Holy Spirit is there. Jesus said, well, hopefully there's three or more gathered in my name. Uh, I'll be there. So, I mean, we, we know we've always got the Holy Spirit, but there's something about a group of believers believing together that enhances the presence. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Yeah, probably not. I never, I mean, you know, because before, like, well, if there's believers, the Holy Spirit's there. There's something special about a group of believers.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's good. Uh, We do want to remember that the Holy Spirit dwells 100% (coughs) within each one of us, which is a a crazy thought, um, that the the God of the universe dwells within us without just taking a part of him, just as uh, Jesus isn't one part God, the Holy Spirit isn't just one part within me, one part within Andy. but he dwells completely within us. But there is something special and different and unique when we get together with other believers in Christ. It's a good thing. All right, any other thoughts on fellowship before we move on to ordinances? That's where we had left off last week. All right, ordinances. Maybe this will work. Let's see. All right, there are two ordinances the Lord set up During his earthly ministry, that Christians should observe. What are they? Baptism. Uh huh. Baptism, water baptism, believer's baptism. Mm
5: Communion.
0: Yeah. Communion, breaking of bread. Good. The Lord's table or communion and believer's baptism are facilitated through the local church. Baptism happens once post salvation, and communion is a continual thing that we practice throughout our life. Those are the two ordinances recognized by the church, um, by at least our uh, offshoot of the church. We talked about uh, recently, I guess, the history of the church and how there were different branches of the church. Catholicism recognizes seven different ordinances or sacraments, but Protestants recognize these two primarily. Believer's Baptism. Let's look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage. Matthew 28, and we'll do 18 through 20 just because 18 is a good verse too. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Who's got that?
4: Thanks, Andy. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
0: All right, perfect. So, why should a person get baptized?
2: Jesus instructions.
0: Come yeah, it's what he commanded us. That's no small reason, right? Uh, I always like listening to R.C. Sproul talk about his experience in, in college where his professor asked him, well, he asked a whole class, why should we evangelize? And he said that he was comforted when he started at the end of, other end of the class and he went around to, to ask, answer this question but nobody knew the answer, like, well, I don't know, I don't know, and uh, he spoke of his anticipation building and rising as his professor got closer to, to him, and everybody kind of looked up to R.C. knowing that, well, he's a, the guy who was going to know the answer, and he said, well, um, I, I don't really know, maybe it's not what you're looking for, it's not the best reason, but, but Jesus commanded us to, to <laughs> preach the gospel, And his professor said, oh, yeah, what could be more more insignificant than the Lord of creation commanding that you be obedient to him? Uh, It's funny to to hear him and how he puts it. But, yeah, it's a a command from the Lord of creation. Right. So obviously we should submit to that command and and do it. And really, that is all the all the reason that we need. He told us to do it. Um, Let's see. Baptism is a matter of obedience because the Lord commanded it. It is a first step in following Christ for all who have been born again. When Grudem said that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Once again, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary if we are to be obedient to Christ. For he commanded baptism for all who believe in him. and take that same sentence and apply it to any other command that he gives in Scripture. Not necessary for salvation, but he commands it. And if we are to be, as you mentioned, disciples of Christ, if we want to be his students, if we want to be uh, his humble slaves and be in submission to him, then we need to obey. Um, and what is the the practical purpose for baptism? Obviously, yes, we want to obey our Lord, but why would he command such a practice? What does it practically do for for us? What does it practically do for others? What is the purpose behind it?
6: It would be the outward display of uh, your belief in who Christ is and his commands. All right. And for other believers as joining together as one through the baptism.
0: Yep. And that takes place primarily through the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we are Like, uh, I guess, in reality, we are joined together in one. But that is pictured, here, you can have this one. That is pictured in water baptism. I do not. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, no, that's okay. So remember that whenever you hear the word baptism, you should think identity or identification. That uh, when Jesus was baptized, he was being identified with sinners, right? He was being identified as one who was under the law, who had to fulfill all things that were required of him as being under the law. And when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism, we are identified with the body of Christ. And when we undergo believer's baptism, um, dunking down and being raised up again out of the water, we are being identified with Christ in outward expression of what has taken place inwardly through our spirit baptism. And it pictures how we have died in Christ and we have been raised again to new life in Christ. Um, I forgot what the question was, but I think that answers it. Oh, yeah, it's a, an outward expression to identify.
1: Yes, Jim. Yeah, that's, when I taught children, I taught them to remember three things, why they should be baptized. One is obedience. We were told to. Two is to identify with believers. Method of joining. Should, most churches require that to join the church that you're baptized. You've been baptized to be a member of the church. One, two, three. See, so, I don't remember if I'm yes. Maybe unbelievers? <laughs> uh, oh, it's your first, <coughs> it <it's should coughs> be or could be, your first public profession of faith. Mm-hmm. It gives you an opportunity to profess in public that you are a believer. Jesus so me before my father if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Mm-hmm. So it gives us our first, maybe our first, or at least one of our earliest opportunities for a public profession of
0: faith. Yep. Yeah. We're to be a, a set-apart people. And that's one way that we can be set-apart and distinct from the world, is to be baptized and to be identified with this other group of people who are also holy and distinct and set-apart. Jerry.
2: I just wanted to say all these discussions which I've been part of for a long time, we tend to just skim over the first statement he makes there, which should Hmm. be the most amazing statement we ever read about Jesus.
0: In 18? All
2: authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. It's easy to say, but that is well. That's very, very, very profound, and especially it's the last sentence in Matthew, who presents him as as the king. So that's really appropriate that he should make that clear.
0: Okay. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and especially in in our circles, I think we can have a tendency to look at that as a, a future thing. That um, yes, Jesus came as our our the humble servant, right? He was washing the feet of his disciples. And one day he's going to come back as king. Well, he is king right now. And he is going to come back and he is going to reign as king. But he is presently sitting on a throne. He is presently um, the one who holds all rule and authority in heaven and on earth. And we need to not look past that, not, not breeze past that for sure. It'll be fun to get into eschatology and Look at that, and just the, the awesome power of, of Christ. And um, I, again, this last weekend I was talking about fearing the Lord with a bunch of people, and that will be a, a day when it will be very easy to, to fear the Lord because we'll see Him in His might, in His power, in His glory. Jim?
1: I've used that very phrase to witness to people. Who Jesus has all authority. What happened to God? He <laughs> uh, You know?
0: Yeah. That's a good point. God. He has all authority. That's, that's God's job. All authority. <laughs> Amen. Uh, another good thing to point out in that passage. Um, we're not necessarily here to look at that. But um, in verse 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Um, that's a... A phrase that is speaking of the totality of Christ's teaching, which includes um, everything that He taught from age 30 to 33, and in particularly the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which a lot of people will write off and say, "Well, that's not for the church. That's just for um, for the Jewish people. It's just for Israel because that happened before the church was formed. It happened before these things." Um, we call those people hyper-dispensationalists where they draw very stark lines in, in Scripture and they'll say, well, this is for this group of people, this is for this group of people. But here the disciples are commanded to go out to teach all that the Lord taught and commanded. So that's that might come up in conversations in the future. All right, second ordinance that the church holds to. The first was baptism, believer's baptism. The second is the Lord's Supper. Let's turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, and could I get somebody to read verses 14 through 20, please?
1: 14
5: through
0: 20. Yeah, should be a familiar passage for us by now.
5: this cup that is poured
0: out for you is a new covenant in my blood. All right. Thank you. Why should a person partake in the Lord's table? He told you to. <laughs> Amen. Good job. Logan's learning. <laughs> because he told us to, right? Uh, Communion is also a matter of obedience because the Lord commanded it. As often as we do it, we declare his death and our unity until he comes again. So, once again, simple obedience is all the reason that we should need for anything that um, the Lord Christ commands, right? Because he said so. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And that's what he declared that we should do. Um, But again, here we can see a, a glimpse that... We are declaring His death and our unity until He comes. And we've talked about that for the last couple weeks, and we will continue to do that today as we wrap up our um, chapter in 1 Corinthians 11. All right, review time from last week's sermon. We get to do that a lot in Sunday school, but not for sermons. So (laughs) I get to test you guys, I guess, and see how well he learned last week. Catholicism teaches transubstantiation. And trans- transubstantiation teaches that the bread is literally the body of Jesus and that the cup, it literally becomes the blood of Christ. What is the other view that kind of stems out of transubstantiation? Do you guys recall? Cons- consubstantiation. All right. And what does consubstantiation teach? kind of difficult to articulate. It is hard to say. It's hard for them to say, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other one. Okay. All right, anybody else before we cheat? Want to take a stab at it? Do you remember what con means, that prefix? With. With. So
2: it's both
0: and is what you're trying to say. Yes, yeah, so transubstantiation says that the bread and the wine actually becomes the body and the blood. And so it's no longer bread and wine, but it's body and blood, even though it looks like bread and wine. Um, Again, we're going to have to kind of try to change our thinking to understand this perspective. That's transubstantiation. That's Catholicism. Consubstantiation says that um, the bread and the wine still remain the bread and the wine, and just that Christ kind of is with, in, with, and under is the terminology they like to use. In, with, and under the bread and the wine. And people have used the illustration of a sponge, how a sponge soaks up water. It's still a sponge, but it's full of water. And the bread and the wine are still bread and wine, but they are now the body and the blood physically of Jesus. So um, that's what Lutheranism teaches, that the body of Christ is in, with, and under the elements of the bread and the cup. And then the one that Britt was referring to is the reformed view that says that Jesus is spiritually my, mysterio, mis, mysteriously right? <laughs> Mystically I guess I could have said. Um, I'm sure there's some distinction there um, within the, the elements. And then we hold to the memorial view that we are remembering what Christ has done and The bread and the wine just serve as reminders of his body and blood. Any thoughts or questions on that or on last week's sermon? Because I know it can get messy for sure.
4: The argument against the memorial view is that you're just remembering. It's just an act. Mm -hmm. And there's no sacredness there, basically, is what they're trying to say.
0: Yeah, Calvin said, well, I don't want to just make this another empty memorial, another empty ritual that that we go through. And I think that's just a, a straw man because that just assumes that the other rituals that we do are empty. And I would say, no, let's elevate those other things that we do. Let's elevate music. Let's elevate prayer and the teaching of the word and realize that Christ is omnipresent, right? He is everywhere with us. And as we were mentioning regarding fellowship, there's a, a special sense in which we come together and we are able to experience Christ in a way that we're not able to experience Him otherwise. Not that He's not with us all the time 100%, but when we have fellowship with the body of Christ there's, there's something special there. And that takes place across all the different activities that we partake in, not just the Lord's Supper or baptism. Logan. So if
5: that,
0: Yeah, consubstantiation. At
5: the first supper here, he had he had given his life,
0: mm-hmm.
5: and so how would that work? I
0: mean, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question for for both of these views. Right. How is Jesus saying, "Here, here's my body, take and eat," when he's sitting right there with them? Uh, that's that's a problem for them. And then again, what happens when they actually swallow that that body and blood of Christ? What happens to it? Or if it's Leftover. when we have leftover bread, we have no problem setting it out there and just eating as snacks. If you had somebody who came from a, a Catholic background coming here, they might be appalled by that and be like, what are you guys doing? That's, that's the body of Christ. And we would want to show grace to them and um, lovingly approach that situation. But they would have a completely different understanding of what those elements are and what we're doing in just snacking on the body of Christ. That so would be appalling to, to many.
2: it's also related to the Passover, You need to think through and make sure that's all consistent too because the Passover was to be reenacted in, a, in a
0: metaphor lower
2: court case so that also was a reminder that that Passover did not cover them because that was all referring back to the, mm-hmm. the event and, and so thats this is very consistent with that, it's referring back to that one event, it's uh-huh. done thing, they, they didn't have to do the Passover to keep God from killing them every year.
0: Uh-huh. That didn't bring them out of Egypt, or, right. yeah. And during the Passover, if you guys have ever been to a Seder dinner, then you guys will know that pretty much everything that's on the table has some kind of semblance, some kind of importance. Um, they have the the bread, the unleavened bread, and that represents the the unleavened bread that they had to take up out of Egypt. There's a, a meaning behind that. That's a, a symbol. Um, they had bitter herbs, or horseradish, is what I've used when I've gone to one. Um, and maybe that's something else, I'm getting confused. But bitter herbs that represent the, the sins of the people. And these things that are sitting on the table, they are pictures, they are representations of different things, just as the the cup and the bread were meant to be when Jesus took and said, we're not going to hearken back to to Egypt anymore, but when you take this, I want you to remember me and the sacrifice that I'm about to offer up for you guys in a matter of hours. So he was completely flipping the script and saying, um, it's about me. And so this practice you need to take and do now in remembrance of me. I think the wine is actually the blood of the lamb. I remember it. Yeah. That's how we are to recall it, right? The yeah. blood of the blood our, our Lamb. All right. All right. The ministry of the word. Any other questions on ordinances before we move on? All right. This is the other, the next mark that we want to recognize for a local church. ministry of the word. If we believe that God grows his people through the power of his word, then it should be of utmost importance that spirit-inspired revelation is centered to the gathering of spirit-indwelt believers. Pretty simple, right? If that's important to us, then we need to make sure that it's happening and that it is indeed centered around the spirit. All right, let's look up these passages real quick that go through and talk about teaching. I'm going to grab 2 Timothy 4. 1 through 5. Will somebody grab Titus 1, please? I've got Titus. All right. I am not yet in 2 Timothy. (laughs) All right, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And while he was writing this specifically to Timothy in a certain context at a certain time, and while this has taken place throughout all of history, I think we can certainly see that taking place today, that people are wanting to turn away from the truth, they're wanting to have their ears tickled, they're wanting somebody to tell them what they want to hear, right? Just send in a, a $10 bill and I'll send you back You know, whatever, this this scarf or this cloth, and you'll be blessed. There's all kinds of different perversions of the gospel that are out there. Again, people wanting to have their ears tickled, but Timothy is told to to stand firm, to be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, um, to be set apart. And he is to do so by uh, holding up the ministry of the word as being of utmost importance. All right, so Titus 1, 7 through 9, after Jerry's You shouldn't
2: go to a church that says, I'm okay, you're okay.
0: No, because we're not okay. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty brazen to write a book with that title. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the judgment of God is, is real, and people are going to be bearing up under that one day. and that not be said of us for sure. Alright, who's got Titus 1, 7 through 9? Alright, Rex. Uh,
3: Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather he must be uh, hospitable One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All
0: right. And why don't you read 10 and 11 too?
3: Got it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, they must be silenced, because they are running whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain, and not for the sake of dishonest gain.
0: All right. So again, we see there in Crete that Titus was dealing with the same thing we're dealing with today. So we can have uh, a tendency to get introspective and look at our own culture, our own Society, But this has been going on for, for centuries, right? Um, nothing new under the sun. However, it is applicable to what we're going through today, so we definitely need to take it into consideration. And in verse 9, what is Titus told by, by Paul that he is supposed to be doing?
2: Hold fast the
0: faithful word. All right, hold fast to the faithful word. And then how is he to understand that faithful word?
4: in accordance with the
0: teaching. All right, in accordance with the teaching. So even at that point, there was already a teaching that was set up, that was established. And Titus was told, you don't just take this word and make it say whatever you want it to say, right? You don't just insert your own doctrine and and twist it to your own understanding, which is, again, what people do. They'll go and they will uh, proof text a verse, they'll just take out one verse and they'll say, oh, well, the Bible says that you shall not judge. Well, yes it does, but that has a, a context, that has a meaning, right? The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, yes it does, but it has a context and a meaning. And so Titus was told that he needs to teach the word faithfully, hold fast faithfully to the word, but to do so in accordance with the teaching. So he doesn't get to be the, the ultimate authority on what he wants to do, how he wants to teach these people, establish these churches, um, but he is to do so in accordance with what's already been laid out before him and if you look down farther into verse 9 he's to do this both so that he can exhort in sound doctrine uh, that is to, to teach and to, to build up within the church and to refute those who contradict so you can look at that as like a, an offense and defensive that he is to exhort offensively to come and to teach in a setting like this that this is what we are to hold to this is what we are to believe this is what we are to do And then to turn around to uh, the Judaizers or to the the wolves that come in in sheep's clothing to those people who want to have their ears tickled. And he's able to refute them and say, no, that is false. And this is why that's false, because there are always going to be people who take and twist and malign and pervert the truth of the scripture. So with
6: teaching, I would assume that he's talking about the teaching Jesus, from
0: Jesus Christ, and from the apostles: in the yeah so it's, it's all we can go back to our, our bibliology study and talk about revelation and, and inspiration how God had inspired these specific apostles to to teach his word um, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18 you see the, the test of a prophet if somebody says something that doesn't line up with what God has said then that person's a, a false prophet. If they send you after another god, that person's a false prophet. And so you need to line up your teaching with the teaching of God. Um, I think I was talking with somebody yesterday. I don't even remember who it was. But we were talking about um, just how we, how we can know anything. The only way that we can know anything is either if we were there or if it's been revealed to us. Oh, it was Roy. Roy's not in here. But he was talking to somebody about um, evolution. Evolution. And this person was adamant that we evolved and that the earth is millions of years old and Roy pressed him on that, how do you know? And he said, well, science tells us. Well, what does that mean? Science wasn't there, right? Science doesn't know. Science, by definition, is testable and observable and repeatable. And the age of the earth and the beginning, the origin of the earth isn't something that's testable, observable, and repeatable. So either we had to have been there ourselves or we have to have known somebody else who was there. And you and I, knowing the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, we know somebody who was there. And so we have revelation um, from God, and that's how we know what he has told us. And he has continued to reveal to us through his prophets and apostles throughout the ages and given us specific revelation in the Bible. We have general revelation from looking at the mountains and the trees, and by that we are held accountable. Nobody's without excuse because we can know Somebody put us here, right? We didn't just be birthed from the grass or from the dirt like some people like to claim. There is a God, but we also have special revelation in the Bible. And that's what we have to appeal to in our teaching in the ministry of the word. And that's what sets apart a church as being a church instead of just an institution or an organization. Other thoughts on the ministry of the word? Alright, let's look at prayer. Prayer is another mark of a true local church. Local churches should be full of prayer. Where fellowship is, prayer should be also. Look at what the gathering of believers was up to in Acts. Let's check out these passages. We'll just briefly run through Acts, and we'll see the devotion that they continually had toward prayer. And that is one of our our core values, that we are uh, committed to prioritizing prayer in this life as we live for the next. Um, And while that's a a commitment, a goal that we might have, we need to strive to make it a reality in our life, which is going to be a a lifelong struggle. I don't think we're ever going to get there. I think it was Martin Luther who said that he prayed four hours a day before he got up and started his day, and he still felt like he didn't pray enough. So uh, Let's seek to, to do that. All right, Acts 1, 12 through 14. Who's got that?
6: Okay. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount, called Halabath, and which is near Jerusalem. the sat state journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were standing. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, and and Matthew. James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all being, yeah, fourteen. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers.
0: All right. What are some things we notice in that passage?
4: to
0: the remaining <laughs> Okay. And they're all there, right? It doesn't look like our typical prayer meetings where you have like a quarter of the people who normally show up there. They were all in one accord,
6: one all
0: of that. Yeah. Yeah, they were all unified, right? What else do we notice? Well,
2: they did go back into Jerusalem which before this they were probably a little bit afraid to do that but they went back into Jerusalem where Jesus was killed mm-hmm. and so yeah they were, they were very much hanging together
0: yeah and they were being obedient in doing so they were to stay there until they had received the the Holy Spirit Was it just the disciples who were there praying? What's that? Yeah, the women were there too, right? So men and women, there's no distinction. They were all one in Christ. And how often were they doing this? Continually. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer, Uh, being of one mind, of one accord, all together. It was a priority for them, for sure. All right. Let's look at. Acts 12, 11 and 12.
3: Right. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on, the, when this had dawned on, dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were
5: praying.
0: All right, what do we notice here? This is right after Peter got out of jail, right out of prison. I don't know if there's a distinction between jail and prison here, but.
6: Prayers were being
0: answered. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, we see that they were praying, right? They actually took this into account and they realized um, there's something serious going on right now and we can't do anything about it. We're going to go to the one who can. And they were all, again, gathered together. Um, getting together in a local house and they were praying and their prayers were indeed answered, which is awesome. And we can see that all throughout scripture that God answers prayer. Even
3: though they didn't believe it
0: at first. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a spook. Yeah.
5: Well, go ahead and talk to
3: the spook then. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were, they were caught off guard, but they were mm-hmm. still faithfully gathering together and, and praying. That's good. All right, in 13, 1 through 3.
1: Cool.
5: Now there were in the church at Antioch the prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menna, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetriarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them
0: off. All right. What do we see here? First of all, are they at Jerusalem here? No. No. Where are they at now? Yeah. They're Antioch. All right. So they're they're spreading out. They're moving, right? And Antioch will become the the base of their mission operations for quite some time. What else do we see here? Good. Yeah, they're all there together, fellowshipping and ministering the Word. So we see fellowshipping and ministry of the Word, those two previous marks of the church we've already looked at. Yeah. Yeah, he was included by this time. Remember, for a while, people were kind of on edge. They were suspicious of him and... Uh, understandably so, right? But he was now there. He was welcomed in among the fold.
3: Well, by the time he got there, it had been several years, right? Before I mean on to his conversion. Yep.
0: Yeah, he took 14 years and went off and right. met with the Lord. So many people that even almost us came back. Mm-hmm. It's
1: amazing.
0: Yep. And at this point, he's seemingly a leader in the church of sorts because he's being commissioned. Um, It's while they were ministering the word and fasting that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So they're being commissioned here by the Lord himself. And then um, they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they were obedient and Uh, They continued to pray for them, to uphold them, realizing that this missionary journey that they were going on was not just their missionary journey, but they were a part of it themselves, too. All right. God works in the lives of his people when they gather to learn from his word, pray, and observe his ordinances. Service, which doesn't speak of a a church service like we're having right now or we're going to have. But speaks of serving others just as Christ served His church. God's people have been given the title of servants, slaves. In the Greek it's doulos. Thus they should serve. If we are called servants and we need to live up to that title. If we are called believers, we need to live up to that title, right? we are called children of God, we need to act like children of God. Beyond (coughs) that, believers are called to submit to one another in the fellowship. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit therefore one to another. Spiritual gifts and callings are at the heart of this, that we have all been given a spiritual gift. Um, Calling might not be something that we so readily embrace in this culture, but uh, we truly have been called of God to to serve the church. We need to adhere to that. 1 Corinthians 12, 11-14, let's turn there. And here we'll also see the the unity that we have within the body and the diversity. First Corinthians 12, 11 through 14. I'll wait for you to get there and I'll start reading. First Corinthians 12:11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Same spirit, distributing to each one differently. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Might get confusing, but lots of parts, one body, right? Lots of members, but we are one body thirteen for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So there is a diversity within the body, lots of different parts, different members, but unity in the fact that we are one body. And then let's flip over to first Peter and see how those individual parts or members of the body are equipped. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll look at verses 10 and 11. When somebody gets there, go ahead and read it for us.
2: As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. So here we see that everybody in the body has a spiritual gift. So uh, you can't just out and say, oh, well, God hasn't gifted me to do anything. Um, Maybe he's gifted so-and-so or such-and-such, but he hasn't gifted me. Uh, He's gifted everybody in in the body. And he's gifted people differently, but the purpose of the gift is not to serve ourselves, but to serve the church. Remember that when Paul was speaking about speaking in tongues, he said, I'd rather speak five intelligible words that are understandable than 10,000 words that nobody can understand. And You actually stop and think about that. You can't say a whole ton in five words. But Paul realized that the importance wasn't in uh, making himself look special or unique. Or just it wasn't just limited to his relationship with God, even though that's important. And Paul, out of all people, would recognize that his relationship with God is important. But he wanted to bless and encourage and build up and edify the church. That is a purpose of a spiritual gift to build one another up what is the purpose of the diversity of gifts in the body
2: well there's many different parts or there's many different functions that have to be accomplished yes in any body or organism or organization or machine you've got lots of different things going on mm-hmm. has to be a lot of different things going on
0: yeah absolutely even just taking one small aspect of our, our church service and looking at our music. If we just had Jerry singing and three other people that were just like Jerry, then that wouldn't be quite as glorious as it is, the way it is now, right? As great as Jerry singing is, it's nice to have a guitarist, it's nice to have some female voices in there, right? If we just had five box drums up there, That wouldn't sound good, (laughs) but you take different parts and different pieces and put them together, and it sounds better than it would have otherwise. (laughs) We'll put it that way. Yes. Or an attempt at it. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's no I
2: mean, just think of a a symphony orchestra. You have Uh many things that sound different from each other, vastly different. Yes. It's just, well, percussion. It's just
6: the,
2: the most obvious simple thing and yet we still seem to have a problem with being different and always want to go to uniformity. It's just yeah. the weirdest thing in, in all of
0: humanness. Yeah, we should not equate unity with uniformity. Not the same thing. <laughs> it, doesn't, um,
2: it doesn't do any good. It's
0: mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, but that's where man-made religion wants yep. to go. Because we want to be in line. We want somebody to tell us, what is the list? What do I have to do? Okay, I'm going to do that. And then I will be accepted and approved by God. Well, that's not how it works, right? Jim.
1: I've also heard people use the idea of gifting as an excuse not to do things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not my gift. hmm
0: That's where you go back to obedience, right? Yeah. God said it. We need to do it. And that, you know,
1: that means any job to me in the church, even, you know, whether it's preaching or mowing the grass, you don't say, well, I can't do that. It's not my gift. Yep. You know, we can, we can be servants in a lot of different areas. You know, we shouldn't limit ourselves to one thing.
0: Amen. Good. And Jim is a great example of that. Appreciate Thank you. you. <laughs> Do you have something, Jerry? Uh, Special gifts, I think, are
6: important to note in this, Peter, because not all are given the gift of preaching or teaching, which are special gifts, in my view. Uh, not that we can't portray the Word of God and give it to someone as a gospel for intent of uh, salvation, mm-hmm. because that is a command. In that sense of the word. I know preaching and teaching is not a command, it's a gift that God gives you. And then it becomes a command to use those gifts for the purpose of what they're designed for. God, I think it brings out these diversities, but like Jim was saying, the, the overall view is that we have many aspects of gifts that are not included as special gifts. That are universal to many. And those are the gifts that when God lays out a command, they're universal. Uh And He expects you to do that because He gives you that gift to do that. And evangelism is one of them. I mean, He puts the words in your mouth, He puts the things in your heart for conviction of those. But there's other things in service, just like where it greedy in the law, mm-hmm. whatever it must be do you that, or they can cure the books or whatever it may be in the church the diversity of gifts but they're also anyone can do it probably yep. because you have that ability through God
0: and a responsibility to serve the the body that is your body, this is your guys's church so you guys should serve this church and mm-hmm. uh Take, take ownership and realize that this isn't just a church that that is here it's not jeremy's church it's not my church it's not anybody's church but but yours right uh, I mean ultimately it's God's church but he has entrusted it to you and you guys should take ownership of it all right um, let's see what questions would come to your mind if you encountered a church that was full of consumers rather than servants obviously that wouldn't be a good church, not a healthy church, right? And yeah, there won't be anything getting done as it should be. One of the implications of this teaching, that is, service in the church, is that every person has a ministry in the church. God has given gifts to his people for them to steward in the context of the local fellowship. The local church is full of servants using their gifts to serve. And that's certainly true here. Um, could always be more true of more people, but I am thankful for the servant heartedness that God has placed here. Yes?
2: You yeah, know, I think with
3: the students and stuff, too, some of those will well, I don't, I don't have a gift for You've got guys
2: here who are interested in something, and
3: they need to get with somebody who knows, who's already serving in that capacity. So yeah. To learn how to do that. So we have more people. We don't have one guy that knows how to mow a lawn, and everybody else down around the dummies because they don't have a clue what to do to mow mm-hmm. lawn. If you have those that at least have the initiative, I would want to. learn. It's just like out here at Onion Days with the the questions and stuff. I'm standing around and watch you do that all day long. if you've got guys and go, I want to attempt this, and then I'm pretty soon sure you've got many guys. That are doing. Yeah. You do it
0: two or three times, you get more comfortable with it, yeah, and get in there and serve more effectively, even. Yeah, not long ago I was reading a, a business book by a, a secular man, and he was talking about uh, a way to succeed in business is to get to know every aspect of the business that you're involved in, even if you're not part of that that particular uh, field in that. So if you're in some kind of production industry, you need to figure out well, what's going on before, what's going on after, what about the, the management, what about the upper management, what are all the different aspects of this product that I'm building, instead of just being narrowed in and focused on your specific job, if you really want to excel and exceed, then you get to know uh, a broader expanse of what you're actually doing and what the business and company is doing there and then you'll be more better equipped to uh, to grow and to excel in that position in that company and the same concept goes in, in serving that we should desire the, the better gifts is what scripture tells us I don't know what that means but we're to desire uh, to serve God more effectively right in whatever way he would use us
3: you know, Guy, big one, big one. All of a sudden, you see this guy, cause nobody knows who he is. He's working, don't talk to a lot of people. Works next day, he's over here, next day, he's over here working. One day, he shows up in a suit and tie with hmm. all the head honchos. He was the new personnel uh, manager, and they wanted him to know everything, every job in there, a little aspect of each of those jobs. So yep. people come in and hire him. Hiring you for this, and this is what you can expect. There, it was it was impressive to see that they would do that. I just have that come in and not know anything about the company.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's wisdom, even worldly wisdom. But that's wisdom that we should take and apply and utilize in the church. Andy.
4: Well, and I think what we should always keep in mind is when you're talking about service, um, there are aspects. That we are commanded to do. Evangelism is not optional. Not number one on my list. It's not optional, but it's not number one. It's not even yeah. number 10 on my list. I am not by nature uh, confrontational because I, I can get angry, and that's. No, why that, bueno. that, that spoils the entire purpose of doing your evangelism. Yep. So it's when I speak to people that I don't know, um, I always have to go into it with the heart that this is what my Lord has commanded me. You know, Drown it in prayer, uh-huh. right? And ask people to be praying for me um, so that I, I'm not getting in the way. Of the gospel. That's because there's <clears throat> excuse me it's kind of arrogant but there's a tendency in evangelism to think that well you're going to convince someone well you're not convincing anyone of anything no. We have to get out of the way and let the spirit do it and I think just in other words what I'm trying to say is just a willingness to step out there to be uncomfortable, to do what what you don't necessarily want to do. I don't like scrubbing toilets, but I'll do it if that's what we need to do here. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: And that should be our, our attitude towards any service that we're going to do. We need to soak it in prayer and humility and, and check our heart first before we do it. Not to do it for any kind of praise or outward expression. Not to do it because you want to be confrontational, which happens in evangelism. But we want to serve with the right motive, right heart. Um, and Andy, tomorrow, is going to be going out and evangelizing from 12 to 2. So be praying for Andy, um, be praying and for <laughs> be, be checking your own hearts, and seeing, and, and asking yourself, and asking, uh, you can ask me, you can ask Jeremy or Mark, how can we serve around here? Because it's a, a need that we have. We're told to be a church that serves, and if you don't know how you can serve and where you're gifted, that's something that you need to figure out because it's a command. Uh, let's close with this quote by Wayne Grudem and then we'll go take our break. Wayne Grudem says that this should remind us of the abundant favor that God has given us in undeserved, as undeserving sinners and should also make us realize that many different Christians with diverse gifts can be the channels through which grace comes to us. It's good to serve in the church. That is, in fact, one of the marks of a local church. We'll grab the next two next week and perhaps get into our next lesson. So, thanks, guys. Thank
1: you.